Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, Bethany family. The children of Israel are preparing to leave Mount Sinai. It has been more than two years since they were miraculously freed by God from centuries of enslavement in Egypt. Freedom. Freedom is amazing. 1962 for me was a very good year. On my 16th birthday that year, I got my driver's license. I already was fortunate enough to have my car, a 1953 Ford Custom Line Straight Block V6 named the White Knight. It had seat belts before they were were required, one for the front bench seat and one for the rear bench seat. I installed them for dating purposes. I was free. I could drive away from my home and go wherever I wanted. But I soon discovered that my freedom was not free. My dad no longer paid my auto insurance. My dad no longer paid for any gas. Fortunately, gas was only 15 cents a gallon in those days. And my dad no longer paid for maintenance. My freedom had gained me some responsibilities and some expenses. Thankfully, my part-time job paid me a whopping $1.25 per hour. But the lesson I learned is that freedom is never free. Back to the Israelites. Organized around their tabernacle by tribes, carrying in the Ark of the Covenant the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, their worship enhanced with priests properly trained and dressed, the Israelites again follow the pillar of cloud now heading north in the wilderness to the promised land, the land of Canaan. Listen now to what comes next in their adventure of freedom. Good morning, Bethany family. I miss you terribly. I'm reading scripture today from Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Thank you, Carolyn. They are close to home, a home they had been promised, a home they had never seen a home that God was giving them just as God had given it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can only imagine the kind of excitement they must have felt 
So Moses sends out a leader from each of the 12 tribes, and together they share a task. See what the land is like. Are the people strong or weak, few or many? And bring back some fruit of the land for us to see. And for the next 40 days, the Israelites wait in the wilderness as their 12 tribal leaders investigate the land of Canaan to see whether it really is a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen again to the scripture. Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this report. We went into the land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Thank you, Carolyn. Ten of the twelve leaders sent on the scouting mission came back with a negative report. The people scared them. They are a large people. I have noticed that generally people in Israel today, especially in the Jewish areas, tend to be shorter. While I am slightly larger than the average adult male, there are many men in our country who are inches taller and many pounds heavier. But when I was walking the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem, I stuck out because of my size, taller taller than at least 95% of the men around me. So I can see that from their perspective, the size of the people in Canaan was a concern. But I must note, as I walked about in Jerusalem, that though I got some curious looks, no one was afraid of me. Thank goodness. We have some deep fears being expressed by 10 of the 12 scouts. In most circles, that is a strong majority. Caleb, the leader of the tribe of Judah, gives a different report. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Listen again to what the scripture tells us. Numbers chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. That night... All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, 
we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community talked about stoning them. Thank you, Carolyn. Fear grips the community because of the negative report of the tent. And fear, as it often does, can bring out the worst in people's thoughts and behaviors. Fear is a powerful emotion we are facing in these days. People are fearful of this coronavirus, and rightfully so. It is serious. It is deadly. And when will an effective treatment be found? And when a vaccine? And what about this new development facing children? These are all serious concerns that produce fear in all of us. Additionally, people are fearful of the economy, lost jobs, food prices rising, health insurance being canceled. What is going to happen? How will it affect us personally? Caleb and Joshua undoubtedly had twinges of fear of what was happening with the Israelites. But fear is not our enemy. Fear is a normal human response to danger. It is what we do as a reaction to our fear that matters. C.S. Lewis says it concisely. The act of cowardice is all that matters. The emotion of fear is, in itself, no sin. End of quote. Joshua and Caleb's response to fear was to tear their clothes. A Jewish man who tears his clothes is expressing profound remorse or sorrow or repentance. In the context of the scripture just read, Joshua and Caleb are profoundly sorrowful. Sorrowful for the negative report and the lack of faith in the other ten scouts they had been with in the land of Canaan. These ten want to go back to Egypt again. And they get the people so worked up they're about to stone Joshua and Caleb, and possibly Moses and Aaron as well. Listen now as Carolyn reads what happens next. Numbers 14, beginning with verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. Every one of you twenty years or more who was counted in the census, who, and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. 
As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. Thank you, Carolyn. There is a powerful conversation between Moses and God in Numbers 14. You have only heard the part where God tells Moses what to say to the people. It is not something they will want to hear. It is not something any of us would want to hear from God. While there are some profound details, the message can be summed up in these words. You will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Does this reading mean God is throwing these people away? Is God sending these people, in essence, to hell? Absolutely not. In part of the text that was not read, we hear God say to Moses, I have forgiven them. Yet God continues, Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Numbers 14, 21 to 23. Let me be clear. These people were not thrown away. They were not sent to hell. But they will not see the promised land. They will never arrive in Canaan. Instead, they will die in the wilderness. Only their children, those under the age of 20 at that moment, would enter Canaan in 40 years. Some of you may be saying right now, Pastor Craig, don't, don't stop here. Please don't stop here. But I must stop here. This is where we can discover what lessons we can learn so we don't repeat the same mistakes. I give you three steps that will help us not to repeat these mistakes made by this generation of Israelites. Step number one, learn the stories. We must learn the stories of the lives of God's people to learn God's ways. And remember, God's people do not always get things right. We can learn from their mistakes as well. The Israelites knew the stories. Stories of Adam and Eve, stories of Noah, the stories of Abraham, the stories of Isaac, the stories of Jacob. Remember, however, they did not have the scriptures. The Bible had not yet been written. But they knew the stories of their ancestors who had a relationship with God. They also knew what they had experienced over the last two and a half years of God's provision. God had freed them from slavery. God had provided safe travel and a dry seabed floor. God was leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. 
And they knew God had provided water and manna and quail in the midst of the desert experience they were in. And yet now we find them unable to believe that God can provide them the land of Canaan. The point? Knowing the stories is a beginning. It's a good beginning. But it is never enough. A personal illustration. 1960 was a very difficult year for me and for my parents because of me. I was in the eighth grade. I was in the final year of confirmation. And I was on the edge of getting in serious trouble. Let me explain. I ran with three guys in my neighborhood, Larry, John, and Mike. We caught the same school bus every day. And I played football with Larry. I do not know where the idea came from, but we decided to sneak out at night after our parents had gone to bed. We did this at least a dozen times, and our activities were seriously bad. In the early summer after school had ended, my family took a two-week vacation, and I was with them. And during that vacation, Larry, John, and Mike snuck out one night and stole a small cabin cruiser from one of our neighbors. They ran into a rock and sunk it. Fortunately, none of them died, but they got caught by the police. They all ended up for a time in juvenile hall, and their families were seriously fined to replace the boat they had stolen and wrecked. I was not with them, but I would have been had my family not been on vacation. Ironically, at the same time, I was completing my confirmation class at church. I had memorized more scriptures than anyone else. It was a contest the pastor had set up, and I am very competitive. And I was about to be confirmed, but it was not yet a Christian. I knew the stories of the Bible. I knew what God wanted from and of his people. Obviously, what I knew was not enough, considering my neighborhood behavior. Knowing the Bible is a good beginning. It is never enough. James writes about the scriptures this truth. Remember it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. So don't fool yourselves. James 1.22, the Living Bible. Jesus also said the same thing. Listen to him. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. John 5.39 and 40. God certainly wants us to know the stories of Scripture. But through his son Jesus, God's priority is still seeking a personal relationship with us. Step one is to learn the stories. Learn the stories of God's people throughout the Bible. Also, learn the stories of people of faith in God today. And also, recall your own stories of God's faithfulness and provision shown to you before you became a follower as you became a follower, and since you've become a follower. Step one, learn the stories, but more is needed. Apply the lessons is step two. Jesus speaks to this at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall 
because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it felt with a great crash. Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Knowing the scripture stories is not enough. It is a good beginning. It wasn't until the summer of 1964 that I surrendered my life to Christ and by the Holy Spirit began to apply the biblical stories to my life. Applying the scripture to our thinking and living is God's goal for us. It means we're following God, and that will show. It means we are trusting God in his ways, and that will show. It means we are becoming more and more like his son, Jesus, and that will show. But there's one final step. Repeat. Step one, learn the stories. Step two, apply the lessons. Step three, repeat. That is, keep learning and keep applying. In his book, The Land Between, Jeff Mannion writes, The Israelites had known of God's faithfulness in theory, but now they would be called upon to know through experience. They knew from the Abraham story that God was a God who provides, but now they would have a chance to learn for themselves. End quote. Which Bible story or stories have most impressed and helped you in your life? What lessons for you have been made clear by those stories? How are those lessons being applied to how you live as a Christian today? God is seeking followers, all-in followers. How is it going for you to be that kind of follower? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed with stories from Scripture and from life. Of all people, we are the most fortunate. So why is it so challenging to apply what you've been teaching us? Help us. Help us to trust in you to provide what is needed for each day. Help us to recognize that at times you merely want us to wait upon you and become examples of faith in your provision amid life's challenges. Help us, Father. Help us. In Jesus' name, help us. Amen.